This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Will. We're going to talk about... Uh, I want to say The Men in the Walls, but that's not the right book. The, oh, it is The Men in the Walls, yes, uh, by you William Tenn. Men and Monsters. Yeah, I'm holding Of Men and Monsters, a novel by William Tenn, his only novel. Um, and when I was in the shower this morning, I thought, oh, damn, I didn't actually get the book out that I, I read originally all those years ago. <laughs> and so I ran, I jumped out of the shower as fast as I could, and I ran to... Uh, my bins full of books, and I dug and dug and dug, and then I found my copy. And uh, I was a little bit late because I wanted to see exactly what happened. I, I, in the shower, I just finished listening to the end of it. Right? I have. I, I like to save some of my homework for the very last minute. I guess <laughs> you just like, do. Just like school, you know. <laughs> um, so it ends and like for the last I don't know hour no maybe half hour of the book of the audiobook I was thinking oh it feels like there's no ending coming <laughs> it feels like um, I'm like did I screw up on the files <laughs> I'm like, did I fuck this up um, did you guys have that sense that the ending was abrupt uh, or beginning? yeah yeah or but I actually I found it pretty uh, a solid ending except yeah, it was it, yeah i agree with that um i thought it was like the uh i felt like it was like absurd in a bleak way like the rest of the yes. novel or novelette was definitely what about I, you I've, I've read a lot of william ten stuff so i was kind of waiting for yeah it's gonna be an abrupt absurd ending that's going to have the stinger in the tail yep yeah there it is huh. It's it's interesting, right? That it, it it feels like like he's mocking a genre as as well as doing a genre, but it's not oh, a oh, full mock. Oh, 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 William, how much William Ten have the three of you read before? I read a full William Ten novel, <laughs> and, um, and and, and this, anything else? Uh, yeah, I read some of his short stuff. Yeah. Which is pretty much everything else. He he only wrote the one novel. Well, well, yeah. This is this is technically a novel form as it is, but yeah, he only wrote the one novel. Myson my and William. This is it. Yeah, I'm 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 in the the same boat with Misa here. Uh, this is my my first exposure. My, long long ago, when the when the world was young, my older brother, who got me to science fiction, as Jesse knows. Gave me a collection of William Ten short stories, and how many were there? <laughs> Just oh, kidding, Paul. The, the, um, there, there's only like a dozen in that collection, but there he's written dozens of them, mm-hmm. and I have the two. I have two volumes of his uh, collection of short stories, which I really need to go back into and read. And so I got to use to the William the quote unquote William Ten model of story, and this falls right into that. It's absurdist mostly mostly satirizing but exploring the idea that he's actually exploring lots lots of use of language and frustrated expectations on what's going on and not quite the focus of what you think it should be and i had not read this i had not read this one for some reason might might not have been in any of the collections i had but i was delighted because it felt a lot like 
you know, the shorter short stories that he's read, like Eastward Ho, for example, which is one of my favorites, which is about after a nuclear war, the Native Americans decide to conquer the United States and things go badly for for uh, the regular Americans. Or um, The Liberation of Earth is probably my favorite of his, which is basically mm. Aliens Land saying, we're here. We're, we're we're here to help you, and then others are like, "No, don't listen to them. We're here to help you." And they basically wreck the earth between the two, between the two races. And at the end, there's just a few humans left on this dying earth. It's like, and they have to remain strong and liberated. It's like, that's the kind of like, darkish ending that William Ten stories kind of have. Well, yeah, it, I think he's. It's it's like that's a metaphor for like Africa or something, right? So it's like the two oh, empires come oh, in. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and so it's it's allegory as well. And I think that that this is probably why he isn't known as a novelist, right? Is because in order to sustain a novel, you kind of have to have um, some sort of overarching belief in something. And what uh, his major yeah, belief a... is seems to be that humans are fucking ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you got you got it. That's William Tell writes. Yeah, and and so yeah, Liberation of Earth is a classic. Um, I I remember early on the internet, and I just looked it up. Um, uh, early on the web, I guess there was a real audio stream that tells you how long ago it was of a reading. I think it was for WNYC. Of uh, on Venus, we have a rabbi. <laughs> uh, one of William Tenn's stories, and yeah, it's it, it takes the genre of science fiction and tells us um, sort of parables or allegories of what humans and their ridiculous ideas are all about. And um, I thought I was thinking a lot about this probably only during this particular read of the book. Uh, because, by the way, um, I checked, and I was like, how different is Of Men and Monsters, the 1968 novel, than than this 1963 short story, or uh, I guess novelette? It's, they call it a short novel, but it's, it's the first third of, that's what it is, it's the first third of Of Men and Monsters. Yeah. Is there cha- is it changed? Absolutely identical. No, okay. not a word different. Um, okay. However, I will give you a couple of things um, th- because it's in three parts. Each part, each part has a subtitle, and it isn't the men in the walls. It's um, priests for their learning, which is interesting, right? That's the first part. Priests the for first their part, learning, and that's what what we just read, right? Uh, yeah. The men in the walls, and then the second part. I'm going to just read the last page of priests and their learning. You'll hear it's exactly the same. Suppose he operated not from any belief or any preconception at all, but only from a soldier's bitter necessity. I'll grow up fast, uncle, muttered Eric the only, Eric the I, Eric the outlaw. I'll grow up fast. I have to. Then he stepped through the doorway into monster territory. Exactly identical ending, right? Hmm. Um, And then part two, soldiers for their valor. Priests for their learning, soldiers for their valor, and this is the the start of what is now chapter 11. The old trap that Thomas the Trap Smasher had long ago dismantled still hung uselessly on the other side of the wall. So uh, it literally takes place the next step into 
the scene, right? So that, that's what, I guess to me, that's part of why it felt like it was an abrupt ending is because I was, it's, I have a memory of reading this and it continues, right? Um, but I'm going to tell you about part three, which is entitled Counselors for Their Wisdom. And that's the final section. This has to be, I'm a thousand percent confident, allusions to something that I'm not getting, right? So the first is uh, priests for their learning, like we value priests for their learning or something like that. We value soldiers for their valor. We value counselors for their wisdom, something like that, right? It's some sort of phrase, it could be Shakespeare. I, I don't know. In fact, it probably is Shakespeare. What? I, I mean, Philip, Philip Class, a.k.a. William Ten, taught English for a living. So, yeah, he, he, he could have got it from anywhere. But, yeah, it sounds like that three, three pairing. I mean, if you guys type it in Google, you'll probably find it. Um, but there, there's one other thing in here other than the title change and, you know, the cover art um, and the lack of art in the interior um, that's interesting for us. Uh, there's a dedication to Sheila Solomon Class. I believe that's got to be one of his family members, wife, mother, daughter. Um, this place in uh, this place of salvation. I'm not sure what that means, but um, before the actual novel begins and before the dedication, there's a quote from Gulliver's Travels um, mm -hmm. by Jonathan Swift uh, in the section entitled A Voyage to Rob Ding Nab. It's hard to say. Oh, yeah, the Rob, land of the giants. Yeah. Rob Ding Nab, right? Yeah, the land of the giants. And, of course, that's a perfect fit, right? That is perfect fit. And, mm. in fact, the number of times I thought, oh, this is kind of like this, other science fiction novel, uh, during this, and yet it's wholly new, right? I've never heard of a novel like this that takes humans and makes them tiny and puts them in their place. Um, in such a funny way. Um, but there are many ancestors to this book. I mean, first of all, there's War of the Worlds, right? This hmm. is a, a kind of a sequel to War of the Worlds, except with, instead of, you know, they're aliens from Mars, they're just aliens from some other planet, and their invasion was successful. Anyways, let me read this quote from Gulliver's Travels, and then I'll let you guys talk for a minute. Um, okay. It doth not appear, for all you have said, how any one virtue is required towards the procurement of any one station among you, much less that men are ennobled or on the account of their virtue, that priests, oh, here we are, are advanced for their piety or learning, soldiers for their conduct or valor, judges for their integrity, senators for their love of their country, or counselors for their wisdom. There we go, we found the quote. I cannot but conclude the bulk of your natives to be the most pernicious race of little odious vermin that nature ever suffered to crawl upon the surface of the earth. <laughs> wow, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> oh my god. I love uh, Jonathan Swift and uh, obviously Philip Glass did too. Clear, yeah, he's, clear, he's clearly an heir to Swift. Oh my, yes. Well, I mean, he uh, he ends it calling people humans roaches, doesn't yep. he? Yep. So it, it makes perfect 
I, I thought of them not as ro- I thought of them as mice. I always think of them. I as know. Mice. I was thinking of them as mice too. But but the way he says it, we are like, like he comes out and says roaches. At, yeah. So and um and I was looking up cockroaches, mm-hmm. and each egg capsule contains forty or fifty eggs. So we are aspiring to, <laughs> to yeah. that greatness. Yeah. Yep. Did- I, I, I want I want to read that. That that little paragraph for readers. The thought had never crossed his mind before. He'd seen them as things completely outside humanity, the compressed symbol of all that was alien. One worried about their feelings no more than those of the roaches scurrying madly about here in the storage burrow. One squashed them slowly or rapidly at one's pleasure. What different did they make? You didn't sympathize with roaches. You didn't identify with them. Mm. You know, there's yeah. a great scene uh, when he's in, he's in the torture room. Um, and he comes to the realization that oh, we're all monsters, right? <laughs> Basically, yep. that he's been a monster to all these because uh, he's been, uh, you know, anyone who's not human, which is anybody who's not of mankind. His book is very subversive, right? The first sentence yeah. says, "Mankind consists of 128 people." That fact is a cool idea. What if aliens invaded and only 128 people are left of humanity? <gasps> Shocking, right? Well, that's undercut relatively quickly when we find out, oh, there are other tribes of people. They're just not called mankind, right? They're just not considered human. Yeah, uh, and what makes but, but, them not but, human? Apparently nothing, because they're exactly yeah, like they're, us. They're, right, and his, and his, his grandmother's of another tribe, so and she became human, or now considered human so he's he he's he's tying in race relations and how we see the how we see the other in other humans he he, he's definitely plumbing the depths here and this was written what 60 in this was written in 1963 63 so yeah so he knows exactly what he's doing oh yeah Mm -hmm. but i i think that's really important like that idea that um torturing these monsters torturing these these things that are not human that's fine because they're not human they they're, they're, they don't have protection of the law and then when when the situation's reversed oh jeez you know i never thought about this before like this kind of uh naive character who's our i, I read some reviews i think they were on wikipedia um just quoting other people's reviews and they were like eh, it's not not a great book and the reason it's not a great book is, uh, well, you know what? I'll just look it up because I I don't want to misquote the 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 quoter, but <laughs> misquote the quoter. Yes, misquote. Um, what's it called uh, the men in the walls? Oh, what do you think of the title change uh, of men and monsters? I think it's a pretty good title, the men in the walls. What do you think? I thought that was a an interesting title. It, it was a, it was an evocative title because, you know. How which, big which are one? the men? We'll start with men in the walls. Men in the walls. Right. Men in the monsters, that's easier to grasp. Okay, men and monsters, I understand that. But you have to really think about men in the walls. Yeah, it's it's harder, and I, I thought harder about it. But I think of men yeah. and monsters is easy, right? That's what I mean. Like, that's easy. Okay, I can jump right in there. But men in the walls, not so quickly or easily. So uh, we haven't stated it, so I will state it. Um, it's a play on of, of mice and men, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, it's kind of obvious. Um, 
but of mice and man it has kind of a similar theme as well right it's about sort of i don't know giant economies and the effects that they have on on people who aren't like basically it's about the institution i i i know this is not probably how most people think of of mice and men um it's it's the institution versus the individual and i always think about this like i i i don't trust institutions at all i understand that i have to interact with them but like i don't join political parties i don't think that schools are a good idea where there's a a system and you know a hierarchy anything like that i think is really dangerous because they can't the, the, they're they're machines it's like you know walking around a factory floor with long hair it's just dangerous for you because the machine mm-hmm. can't say well you know tuck that in <laughs> wear wear a cap you know don't put your fingers in here but your your uncle your brother your mother your sister your friend can all say that to you right and and they will strangers may be less so right but for sure people will be kind to you and i think of, about you, you all read of mice and men or seen a movie of it of yes. course okay I read it maybe 15 years ago yeah uh, so <laughs> there's the two guys one's lenny and the other guy right yeah <laughs> the other guy the other guy I, I, it's been a long time um but the their relationship right lenny's dangerous right he he you know, loves rabbits too much, he kills them. <laughs> yeah. um, and then there's the institution, which is uh, the laboring farm that they go to work on. And there's a lecherous dude um, and uh, a lady who's kind of lecherous herself. And the relationship they have is navigable by one of one of the pair, uh, you know, all these relationships, and not navigable by the other. And it ends in tragedy, Right. Um, so that's how Eric is. He's kind of our dumb character. He's the guy with mental handicap in a certain sense, cause he's young and he doesn't understand the way of the world in the, in our story here, um, the men in the walls. And then he's disabused of that slowly over time, basically by the end of the book, he's sort of figured it all out. Right. And mm-hmm. his uncle was also a fool because he, <laughs> was he was thinking i can change things up if i'm chief right and that is it's very subversive because it says that this you know it's not just a new we we need a new king or we need a new form of relationship with our government it's saying government can't help you really kid um and there's i have no answers for you kid i was like damn that's brutal um and what is the answer for lenny right we end up killing him, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's not what we want. But when we institutionalize uh, the mentally handicapped, that's not good either. And when you institutionalize it, like you say, the state needs to uh, take care of the mentally handicapped. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, it's better than nothing, I guess. But honestly, it fucks people up too. Institutionalizing anything sort of fucks up people because. It can't care in the way that a human can, that uh, that really does care, you know? I think that's kind of the relationship of of that title. What do you guys Mm -hmm. think? What do you guys think? um, 
Sorry, I, my computer died halfway through that, oh, so I didn't oh. hear all of it. Okay. Uh, uh, what was I saying? <laughs> I think so. I think, uh, Jesse, uh, I'll try to summarize this to see if I, if Thank I understood you. him. Um, so uh, Jesse's uh, point, I think, uh, or like the, the thing that ties uh, of Monsters and Men, which we read under the title, uh, The Men in the Walls, and uh, of Mice and Men, uh, is this uh, idea of the uh, inhumanity of institutions uh, juxtaposed to the uh, uh, human relationships that we can have? Uh, you know, uh, we think, oh, you know, I can't really uh, trust this uh, machine uh, to tell me to like put a cap on so my hair doesn't get sucked into it. But maybe if my brother uh, is there, he'll be like, hey, you know. Uh, put a cap on, uh, your hair's too long, it's going to get sucked into this machine. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, the institution in Of Mice of Men, uh, as Jesse laid it out, is uh, this uh, laboring Capitalism, farm. Capitalism, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a John Steinbeck novel, yeah. Right. Um, the, uh, it's, uh, you know, these migrant laborers go to this farm, one of them has a serious mental handicap, and, uh, you know, uh, his friend's trying to help him navigate all this, but ultimately, you know, his friend has to put him down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, in uh, in Men in the Walls... Because uh, he kills a woman, kid. right? He kills yeah, a yeah. woman. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. It's, it's enough when it's rabbits. Okay, Lenny, just stop touching the rabbits. Stop it. Okay, you got <laughs> it now. Okay. Oh, and also ladies, stop, stop squeezing the ladies to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... And, and here we have, uh, so, uh, Eric, the only Eric, the I, uh, ultimately Eric, the outlaw, um, you know, he's learning, oh, wow, these institutions that I've totally believed in, uh, my entire short life the church, are the government, right? Yeah. They're yeah. one, they're cynically made up. Uh, but I, I think that, uh, you know, uh, the, the, a real parallel here is, uh, uh, maybe we can't trust these human relationships either, because in the same way that like Lenny gets put down by his best friend, Eric's uncle leads him on, uh, you know, what uh, in his dying moments, his uncle says was just, oh, this was just totally about my vanity. Like, Holy, I thought yeah. that, yeah, yeah, I thought that I should be chief. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it doesn't really work out too well for Eric and, you know, uh so I don't know. I, I like. I, I I thought it was like. I agree with Jesse. It's really subversive, but it's also like, you know, there's all this stuff in there that's like, oh, you know, all the you know all the different tribes hate each other except for the leaders of all the tribes all secretly work together because they have more in common. It's uh, it's with, yeah. our planet, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also yeah. like if you try to do anything. Oh, by the way, like that's just foolhardy too. So it's. I mean, it's subversive, but it's also just like, uh, um, it's like almost like a quietest tract. Like, it's like, mm. uh, don't have relationships with other people. They'll just lead you astray. Don't trust institutions. They like want to kill you. <laughs> um, and like, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, we're left just thinking, uh, man is alone in the world or uh, humankind is alone in the world. Mm. Yep. Um, I uh, I see. I I didn't find him at all um, like a like a dumb character. 
He's uh, dumb as a young person, right? He, he no, naive. No, 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 no. That's what I mean. That's yeah. all true, but. He is a, a product of his society. Absolutely. There isn't going to be a single one of them that doesn't have those same thoughts. So, like, the, I think that was a um, a statement about the society that he was in. Like, they can't help it because this is how they've been. This is how they've been. This is this is their mythology. Yes. And 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 what they're given. And he he metamorphosizes out of it. Like to me, he's more of a like a, a Harry Potter type character. You know, his parents died fighting the good mm. fight. And he was destined to go and and become this this. Uh, but he had but he had to learn about the institution through this. But he but he he was smart enough eventually to you know no be not be a roach anymore. Well, yeah. yes, but he's still okay. So let's go to the other title, okay. Um, uh, the men in the walls, or try not to be. Yeah. So one of the, I don't know I don't know if this is connected at all, but uh, there's a famous Lovecraft story, right? The rats in the walls. Rats. <laughs> now I thought of these guys as mice uh, rather than as roaches, and obviously until he makes that comparison himself, roaches live within mankind's. Real, uh, roaches have the same relationship in this story uh, as uh, to humans as the humans have to the the aliens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an identical relationship, and there's a wonderful scene. I think it's just delicious, and I I want to spend a lot of time, like if I was you know writing up a thesis for a university uh, doctorate or something on this story, I would spend a lot of time analyzing what the aliens are thinking um because we never see anything from their point of view right not even close but there's a great scene where basically he's sprayed by roach spray <laughs> you remember he's running he, yeah in the book don't you guys remember he's he's his uncle tells him hold your breath count for 500 and run yeah and there's this it's 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 poison spray they're spraying on uh, him. Yep. Yeah. Well, oh, there's only one that. thing you have to worry about. Only one thing you have to listen for a hissing, whistling sound. When you hear it, hold your breath and run. That's definitely, uh, yes, exactly. It's roach spray. Right. They, uh, they did. The thing is, is like there's a bed or something. It's, I think it's a bed for the aliens, and they're all hiding under the, the aliens' bed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just like roaches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet, uh, I think it's played the other way. Um, the whole society is about how many... I mean, his whole embarrassment in life is the fact that he's an only child, right? Not that his parents are dead. Not that, uh, you know, he's ugly or has red hair. Or, not that he's ugly. Uh, or, you know, that his grandmother was um, from outside the tribe. That is not his shame. His only shame in life is that he has no brothers and sisters. And mm. when he he thinks of his future, he wants to mate with many wives and have massive litters. <laughs> Litter, yes, right? L- L- Litter is the word that kind of also implies mice rather than exactly, exactly. Yeah, it does, yeah. And yeah. It, I, I, I think of litters as a very positive word myself. Like uh, I think of litters of puppies, litters of kittens, right? And I've spent time around mice and rats as well, and they have litters. 
and they're very cute. They all these little they're they're called pinkies, by the way. Uh, when they come out, <laughs> they they're, they look like you know basically a finger or something like that, with just eyes covered up. They're very cute, right? But that's what makes it inhuman. Litter is Ex- the most inhuman thing. Here. Absolutely, absolutely. But the thing is, is yeah. mankind has changed, right? So that mm-hmm. what's happened is now women are not just capable, but they usually have multiple babies. At the same time, right? right? But, like, but, yeah. So the interesting thing about him is he's a throwback. What, wait, wait, Jesse, I'm not sure. Jesse, I'm not sure that's actually supported in the text that women have multiple babies. It's that they have lots of babies. It's not that they have multiple babies at the same time. It's just that they have lots and like lots that. and lots. Of- I think it said. I think it said. I think it says something like uh, two, three is common, up to six. Yeah. At yeah. a time, it says something like that. And which, you know, yeah. I, I don't know how it's physically accomplished. Maybe these humans are slightly changed. Uh, well, the women's it, hips are a little like, wider. No, no, no. no. Um, because no, it, it's, yeah, he says, my, my father could have two, three, or even four different litters by different women, but I'm not sure a litter is necessary. I, I, I don't disagree, Paul. It, it's not super clear, but we get the sense that. At least humans are looking at themselves differently, right? Yes. They, they, they definitely are. They I de- mean, especially for the '60s, right? This is past the point in the '60s where the pill oh, is a thing, right? Where women's but, bodies are able to be restrained in the number of babies they put, pump out. Um, I, I just, I just did another search, and you're right. There were, oh, there was a. She talks about Sarah. There was a woman for you. Over five litters, she had had two of them of maximum size. Okay, so and what okay, is maximum size? We don't know. It, it, but well, it could it's clearly be six. more than one. Yeah, yeah, it could be three. Okay. Like, are they I triplets? Is that what they're talking? Like, the thing is, is I think that that's um, you know, there's all sorts of amazing things that are biologically possible that are relatively rare. Um, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like stuff like. Um, there's a, a special word for it, um, a kind of lizard that can reproduce itself asexually um, when yeah. it's outside. Parthenogenesis. Parthenogenesis. Yeah. There you go. So um, if if under a particular strain, um, I think, uh, you know, particular set of circumstances, I think it is well within human genetics to make twinning much more common. That's that's how I read it too, because out of necessity, they 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 sort of. Evolved this yeah, way. Yeah, fraternal or identical. Either in any case, um, those who who produced lots of ba- like he's a, people are old men at twenty or something like that, right? Um, it, it, these are humans, but they're they're modified by a distant. I mean, we never find out how long the aliens have been on the Earth, but everything that is the religion and creed of these of mankind is. Is pathetic and ridiculous, right? Yeah, and, and we idea. also Go and we it. also know that uh, you know the other groups of humans view mankind and similar groupings to be like like especially absurd groups of people. Sure, uh, <laughs> like I, I think that's. Um, so, did anyone pick up the mankind was a the fact that the the tribal or national grouping is referred to as mankind as like a plan is like a. It's like a Plains Indian thing. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, which, like, I thought Every, was every like, people calls themselves the people, right? Yeah. 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 Um, 
I thought that was interesting, but uh, yeah. So uh, there's just like so much world building here, and it's like very like well restricted to Eric's point of view, where mm-hmm. like we're able to get the it's it's like real life, you know, like the real world is like you know vast and absurd and has all these intricacies but like you know your average uh, 16 year old boy or whatever has this like very strange snapshot of it yep uh um uh there was somewhere i was going with that well <laughs> while, while, while you're doing that i want to read that quote i i eventually uh found on wikipedia um adam short castro who i've read stuff by um uh he's a modern writer uh, in Science Fiction Weekly called uh, the novel, um, quote, imaginative and often witty, but faulted by the characterization as, quote, both simple and schematic, noting that, quote, nobody interesting, not even the hero. And I think that this is a fundamental misunderstanding of of what is going what, on this uh, yeah, this is right, what Ten's starting to do here well that's the thing is i don't think of 10 as a writer for writers i think of 10 as a guy who was basically uh gifted with writing but also cursed by the knowledge of how humanity actually is um, <laughs> and and in a sense he is all he's doing in his, in his writing is trying to give that give ideas. Um, so the fact that the characters are nobody, the hero's not interesting. He's not supposed to be interesting. That's not. And I've read Adam Troy Castor stuff. He's a traditional writer. You know, like he says, I want to be a writer, so I have to have characters. Characters have to have motivation, right? That's not how class is approaching it. He's he's approaching it the other way, saying, "What if we were, we had the relationship that uh, we have to ants? Mm-hmm. Uh, how would how would that go, right?" And then he says, "Yep, that'd be about how it would go," <laughs> and that's how why it feels like, "Oh, we lost uh, Will. I don't know why." I guess we'll get them back. Um, That's what I think, anyways. I think that's what's wrong with that. And then Joe Walton, who is a very famous um, reviewer, and also uh, she she writes fiction. She's also she's written a number of novels, some good ones too. We got Will back. Um, Uh, Yeah, sorry. No worries. Uh, So uh, I I I feel confident in dismissing Adam Troy Castro's. I guess assessment. Criticism? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Joe Walton's goes like this. Um, the novel is, quote, simultaneously an adventure story taking itself seriously and a parody of an adventure story played for mm-hmm. laughs. And I think that's absolutely true. And yeah. uh, lauded the conclusion as, quote, a happy ending, a funny ending, an emotionally satisfying ending, but an ending that's typical Riley and exclusively 10. Uh, she's talking about the novel. Um, yeah. But I, uh, I, I feel like the ending of the first section that we're we're calling uh, the men in the walls mm-hmm. isn't isn't uh, funny. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but it is emotionally sa- satisfying in a certain sense. In that it's saying there is no satisfaction in life, buddy. <laughs> and you go, damn, you're right. <laughs> so it teaches you something. 
or it reinforces an idea or it presents an idea. And I think that's satisfying in a sense. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's a very subversive book, I think. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Feature not bug. Yeah. And it's that one, you know, mankind consisted of 128 people. No, it didn't. <laughs> right. Yeah, <he laughs> First line's a lie. Quickly. But I the mean, thing to... is, is whose point of view is that? It's not class's point of view. It's not, um, it's not, it's not even, or maybe it is our hero Eric's point of view, right? It is. It is his point of view because Kinda, yeah. that's what I mean. Because as one of the later char- characters points out, like all these tribes think that they're the only real humans. That everyone else is is not that that that, that ties into the whole of men and monsters. The the novel is not only referring to monsters as in the aliens, monsters as in the other humans are not part of your tribe. He's going. He's going on two layers there with that title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, it's very subverse. It, it just the very first line is a lie. Or it's or just wrong, and then everything else is. We're presented with facts, and then they're subverted. We're presented with facts, and then sub- subverted. So, uh, uh, you guys probably all know about uh, like how primitive people live. And when I say primitive, I have big giant quotation marks that have arrows and asterisks next to them. Basically, uh, how leadership ta- works. I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly thinking Taipei all of a sudden. Yeah, uh, like that. So, like basically, anybody who's um, living in a in a community where everybody is competent at doing everything, right? There is no special specialist. Um, anybody who presents themselves as a leader is ridiculous, right? And in our world, <laughs> we have today some very ridiculous leaders. But they have the force of weapons and armies behind them, so you can't laugh at them too much, or you end up, you know, executed or in prison. Um, and it takes a lot of mass protests in the streets, like you see in France, for example, um, to or Hong Kong, or, or Hong Kong uh, to to get uh, the governments to basically disagree. Everybody has to come out in order to stop this one idiot who thinks he's smarter than everybody else from running things into the ground. Uh, so what you're saying is, um, uh, and I think this is what I was trying to go for with the the, the Plains Indian comment. Is, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, uh, so uh, if we were to classify the kind of society that um, Eric the Only comes out of, we would say they were a hunter-gatherer society. Yeah. You know, they don't uh, they don't produce anything, um, or at least not on mass. Like they go out and they get raw materials, and then they have like they make you know, spears, spe- I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and then they trade, and then they trade to get finished goods. Right. Maybe those uh, those are the spears are from other. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. Uh, so they're they're hunter gatherers, but you know you're you know people in hunter gatherer societies they don't have a social structure that looks like um, what the social structure of mankind is, right? You have like a very um, you know there's a lot of hierarchy in this uh, you know social organization. You know only certain people know how to like make sure the food is edible, like and it's like a protected secret. Mm-hmm. Um, you have like you know, these strange religious customs that are uh, just totally about power. 
um, and totally cynically implemented. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I guess, uh, um, so we have like this idea that like Eric's uh, clan or like um, a, we could call them like a primitive people with like quotation marks, or at least if we like look at the etymology of primitive, you know, they're, they're structured more, we want to think Simply, of them as being yeah. structured more like the uh, early forms of human organization that existed for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years before uh, somebody thought of agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, the social structure of this society in the novel actually uh, more closely looks like, uh, you know, a post-agricultural society. Yeah, Romans have, or, yeah, they have yeah. priesthoods and... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, I have a... a that's uh, that's the thing about the world building here. It's like really fascinating, and mm-hmm. I really have a I have a lot of questions about the the structure of the tribes that are, um, you know, they're more specialized and they create uh, finished goods out of these raw materials that the tribes like mankind, you know, go into the house and get. Um, but uh, you know, I'm also like kind of veering away from the point of what the novel was when I go in that direction. Yeah, uh, there's many, many questions like the fact that nobody ever goes outside, right? The, we're inside a house, an alien's <laughs> house, right? In the kitchen, essentially. There's a hole at the bottom of the wall where the mankind makes a door and runs out, like in Tom and Jerry cartoon, right? Um, steals some cheese and runs back in, spits on the cheese and makes a hand grenade, right? (laughs) Whatever it is, Uh, because it's alien food that, I mean, the thing is, is the, the, uh, the absurdity, the, the high absurdity is probably at its peak when, uh, and you know, sort of the full curtain is drawn away for us, but not for Eric when, uh, they bring out what's essentially a VCR, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and press ra- random buttons on it that aren't perhaps as random as they say it is, right? Um, and then we see a bunch of ads for capitalism, basically. You know, what was it? Uh, not uh, two. Uh, we get other visions. Two uh, airplanes crash into each other in someone else's vision. And then basically there's a sale on, was it microscopes or something? No, it wasn't microscopes. Glasses? <laughs> or, oh no, it was a camera. What? It yeah, was it was a camera, camera right? Camera. Yeah. And, and a light and meter, right? Uh, yeah, I thought that was hilarious. That was really good. And so we know what it is, but Eric is is outside the loop, and he thinks it's all sacred and stuff. Um, but then uh, it'd been so long, I I didn't really remember the details of this book at all. So when I was thinking, I have a feeling that that uncle he has some sort of relationship with the. You know, because he's making this plan for Eric to do something, right? And Eric's, Eric's thinking, I don't think this is a good idea, Uncle. Like, why am I going for the third thing? Nobody goes for the third. Basically, he's unthinking. He's all hormones, right? He's all about the sex with he's the a ladies. Teenager. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's sex with the ladies, having litters, being respected by his peers, and then his uncle. He's got this grand plan, and when he presents his own concerns with to his uncle, like. Do my dad have sex with other women? Because that'd be great if he did. (laughs) Um, And it's like, it's really interesting. It's an inversion, right? Like one of the things that um, in our society, I remember many years ago when I was a young person, um, anybody whose mother was not married to their father, oh my God, bastard, right? Today, I don't think that that's as big a deal, but I remember that, that I 
maybe it is, I, I, and I'm out of the loop, but I remember that um, concern uh, being extant, right? And that people were worried about something. He's r- r- worried about the opposite. He wants there to be uh, compa- companions. So he's, he's really showing the malleability of humans and the sort of the stupidity of us because the uncle, who we think of as and respect just like he did, right? He took him in. His wives were kind to him, uh, to Eric. Um, he they taught him his ways, brought him into his clan, made him into a warrior, gives him advice on how to take the pain that the, some random lady comes up and stabs him with a pin. Um, like, all of this sort of primitive stuff, and then he's sort of forced by circumstances, uh, his uncle's doing... Right into having his own thoughts about maybe how to run his life rather than just conform, 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 and see whatever and and not conform in a negative way in the sense that they're making you fit, but rather that's all I think about. Right? He he's sort of he's forced into intelligence in it, or maybe that's not the right word for it. Forced into um, dealing with consciousness. Consciousness, yeah. Right, he's forced into dealing with consciousness, and and so this is like I I feel like this is a relevant book because of things like there's a lot of people who are vegans these days, you know, and I think the reasons they're vegans is because they don't like seeing animals tortured because they can project their own consciousness into animals, right? They can say, oh, I love my puppy, my puppy doesn't they, like pain. They empathize with that's them, right, yes. and and that's completely reasonable, I think. Um, but I don't think you get that unless you get a certain level of um, ability to empathize with others. But I also think it, it can be a pathology. Right? Um, and and I, I don't see that that trap is as um, obvious. Like, it, it can turn into another kind of culture, right? And another kind of religion. And I think William Tan, I want to call him Philip Glass, but Whoever, well, he, he, he's the same he, guy. Well, he's the same guy. He's the not, same not guy. Not to be confused with the UFO guy. There's, I, there's, there's a UFO guy named Philip Glass. It's not okay, the same let's one. go with William Tan. Okay, so uh, I think from what I've read of William Tan's work, and I've heard his interviews and stuff like that, I think he's saying we're trapped in the same way that Ligotti would say we're trapped. But his answer isn't to despair. His answer is to go, what you going to do? And sort of laugh it off, right? And just be aware of the fact that uh, this is so, sort of a pitiable state of mankind. Um, it's kind of curious and interesting, but uh, we're, we're, we're stuck with it. A lot of people don't take that tack. They take it as a depressive thing, right? And I think that's more to do with personality and character rather than a, a presentment of the facts. Hmm. What do you guys think? Because that, that's that's what I I take away from this. Yeah, book. yeah, it's it's not a melancholic point of view. Like, oh, humanity sucks, we're doomed, blah 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 blah. It's more like, yeah, that's what humans is. We might as well, yeah, that's kind of like how it goes. It's it's it's, it's like the Monty Python song, "Look on the bright side of life." Yes. So so sort of approach, like, yeah, it, it sucks. Life's but, a piece yeah, of what, shit. What, what are you when do? you think of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I found it very hopeful. You know, um, he, yeah, like his, his viewpoint on humanity was, 
was is just depressing and terrible. But <laughs> but accurate. Read, uh, but accurate. 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 Very accurate. But the way I read it was. Um, his parents were on their way back. I was re- the way I saw it was his parents were on their way back to the back tunnels where where the grandmother came from. That's why they were back there mm-hmm. with their baby. So that, like it, it was like it was to me it was like a destiny story. Oh, but they got killed. But then the baby grows up in this superstitious society. Finally realizes that he, all men are men, and um, and that he's going to go take on the monsters using. Whatever magic, alien magic, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> ancestor magic. I'm gonna use it like he's he was a throwback. He's an only. He's the only one, and he, and he's gonna bring back all of that. He's gonna yeah. He's gonna make only a good thing, not a bad he's thing. Only a good thing, and he's gonna bring us back out of the fucking walls mm-hmm. outside. <laughs> but I didn't read the rest of the books, so well, I, you, my, you don't you don't need to you because no, I don't it is a separate story. On its own, right? It's published but, but on its own. But I had a question for you. Mm-hmm. If the priests are in the front boroughs, are we moving back? Like, are the soldiers in the middle boroughs and the counselors, are they all the ones way back there? I don't think we can trust that idea, that idea of positioning. Um, because what does it mean exactly? Like, uh, I don't when know, you but say he that, made a point of saying it. Yeah, That's yeah. Why I, I well, didn't, the, for I, them, it yeah. seems like a big deal, right? But it seems like... Um, I, I, I'm trying to relate it to mice because, <laughs> you know, mice go into your house, right? And they nest in, in the spaces where you aren't, but they want to keep, the reason they come in is because it's cold outside in the winter, mm-hmm. mice, squirrels, whatever they can, they want to keep warm. Um, trees are fucking cold. You don't want to be in a tree, <laughs> Right? You want to be in a house. <laughs> you want to be in a house. So you go, oh, birds do the same, you know, they'll nest in the roof or whatever. So squirrel or mice come in through, you know, whatever place they can get in, and then they nest in a place that's safe for them, but not uh, not for, you know, they're not going to get stepped on. Um, but they also want to, oh, man, there's food. I can smell it. It's there. It crumbs all over the floor, right? Um Perfect, perfect food, and that's why people have to have jars with lids so that mice don't get into your cockroaches, don't get into your food, and steal it. And when we see them stealing it, we crush them, right? So, I I, I get the sense that Eric lives like in the kitchen <laughs> or the bedroom or something like uh, some place. Maybe a kitchen is a bedroom for them. We don't know, right? But they, they're aliens. They're aliens, <laughs> but they they have furniture and they have food and they have. Other road stuff. spray, road spray, right? <laughs> so somewhere, somewhere, like I, I, another way of telling this whole novel is like you just have two aliens, a, a husband and wife, or whatever, in the kitchen, and say, "Look at one of those damn roaches again," and then tries to step on it and it gets away. <laughs> That's the whole story. I get it with the road spray. <laughs> we gotta yeah. get the exterminator. Like it could be the whole next thing is the and mysteriously everybody died. <laughs> Um, so, so you never see the outside world a, is what a I'm little saying. Bit yeah, to, go for it. Um, uh, when we were uh, discussing, you know, uh, uh, how we feel about the novel, it seems like that, uh, like the the general mood is, uh, it's uh, uh, you know, if it's uh, a depressing idea, you know, that's the problem is with the reader's attitude, and you know, we can kind of look at the senselessness of it all and like you know, feel okay with that. Or we have like mice's perspective, which is, 
you know, the novel's actually uplifting. Um, we see Eric like go from like ignorance to knowledge, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. I I like I found the the novel like deeply aesthetically satisfying, but deeply like uh, like upsetting on some level. Uh, that that's like this is uh, the absurd reality of this uh, of this young man's life. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially when we we leave it. Everybody he's like ever known and loved is dead, and he's like off in the world trying to like you know, figure out what he's going to do. Yeah, it feels like there's a sequel coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Coming, yes, coming soon. It works for their adventures. Yeah, you wait five years and get the paperback, don't have to read the first third. Um, It's (laughs) identical. Um, That kind of a memory. I I encountered it as a novel. I never would have encountered it as a, uh, you know, 1963 magazine. They're very ephemeral. Now, of course, I when I found out, and I, I didn't know, you know, when I was reading at the time, uh, when you're young, you don't read books the same way maybe you do when you're old like me. Uh, but basically, I, I didn't look at the copyright page ever. <laughs> I just looked at the back and the front, and then I, you know spun through it looking to see if there's any pictures or equations or whatever. Um, but the thing is, is uh, it says, you know, a portion of this novel first appeared in Galaxy Magazine under the title The Men in the Walls, copyright 1963. Um, that, if the uh, non-ephemeral nature of the paperback compared to the ephemeral nature of the magazine goes on the newsstand, and if you didn't get it that month, you'll never see it again. Um... I I don't know if a person who read like the thing is is having a physical like I'm I, this whole time I've been holding a physical copy of this book in my hand, um, shaking it, flipping it over, looking through it, right? Getting a roach with it. Yeah, and when I put it on the shelf, I remember you know finishing it, and I put it on a shelf, and then eventually into a bin. <laughs> um. It was like a token of an achievement, but I'm not sure that that's the the same thing with a a magazine. You read the magazine, and it feels like a newspaper. You don't feel like I don't feel a sense of achievement when I've finished reading the newspaper. Do you? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel like oh, I finished the paper today. Bully. That's right. Yeah, like, I don't get yeah, that. That's uh, sort of a childish way of looking at it. But all of those paperbacks that I was reading. Um, they feel all like achievements. Um, so I'm not sure I can trust my sense that it feels like there was a sequel needed. Um, but there was, obviously. This is the only time he ever wrote an expanded book into paperback length, right? It's Wait, 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 wait. That That's not true, actually. Because, because I was reading the William Ten page. Uh, uh-huh. There's... Um... A Lamp for Medusa, which is the other novel he wrote, which was expanded from another story of his, Medusa Was a Lady. Was it, was it expanded into, like, this is 251 pages, which is, you know, it's a small paperback it, it by was, today's it, standard. It was, expand, it was expanded into a an ace double, I believe. Oh, so, yeah, about half uh, one of these sizes. So it's a, it's a small, I mean, they call this one a novel in the, you know, it says a complete short novel. And then they, I guess it's it's a long novelette or, or I'm sorry, a or, long novella. Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't call a novel today. It's uh, less than it's about eighty pages in in yeah, yeah. 
it's almost exactly 80 pages in the magazine. So having read it at the time doesn't, you know, in the 60s, I don't know if anybody would say, oh, this is a, a classic for our time. But putting it in a package of, you know, a front cover and a back cover and a spine and, you know, new art for the cover and new title, it might be something more. I mean, it has had a life uh, of republication. It's been republished a few times. I just, it, it's hard to assess what makes something a, a classic for the ages, you know? Especially if it, you aren't presented with it as such. When when people are telling me Jesse Moby Dick's a very famous book, um, and I see lots of adaptations of it around, people making jokes about it, and that sort of thing. When I eventually read it and agree with them, <laughs> um, I don't feel like I'm, I'm uh, being subversive. But if I presented to you guys that this novella was a classic of science fiction, could you say, no, it isn't? Or would you say, oh, of course? Because you hadn't heard of it before, right? It's not famous. No. I, I would say it's like a lost classic of science fiction. I don't know. I, like, uh, you know, I don't know if I have, like, great taste or whatever, but... There's well, with the, with the Richie Rich I, uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> so, uh, Casper stuff you've been tweeting about, I can, I can say you do. <laughs> oh, well, uh, I'll, I'll take that compliment. But, you know, like this was – what I loved about this was there was just so much going on in a short period of time. Uh, you know, I don't think there was a word that was wasted I'm over green. the course of uh, mm-hmm. the novel. Um I miss part of our uh, discourse on Adam Troy Castro's like views on the novel, but I just totally disagree with the idea that the characters didn't have interesting motivations or anything like that. They had totally like, yeah, I mean, uh, there, I, I would, I would fight for this, uh, its inclusion in some kind of uh, canon of um, uh, anthropological science fiction or, uh, anthropological science fantasy, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, uh, uh, just because it's really getting at, uh, you know, what is society? Uh, mm-hmm. Why do people do the things that they do in society? Um, I mean, it really, uh, it even questions uh, how we uh, know the things we know, right? Yes. Uh, you know, growing up, Eric uh, is just confident that it's, uh, it's morally good for us to torture these strangers to death because it reminds us like what our attitude towards the monsters that took our planet away is. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not just like, okay, it's, it's socially good for us to do this because it keeps us sharp for uh, the enemies that we can't get at. And Uh, that's uh, what I love about that is that's received morality, right? He didn't come to that on his own. That is, that's the banality of evil. Um, that people talk about, right? That's that's the you know I work in the in the prison industrial complex, and you know they did the t- crime, so they need to do the time, right? And then you're <laughs> thrown into prison, and you see uh, all the abuses that are heaped upon prisoners, not because the you know because of their guilt or their you know more you know God deemed it such that they'd be punished forever, but rather mm-hmm. just because that's how the institution works, and the guards don't care because they don't see you as human uh, yep yeah. i I don't know how you define classic, so i, I abstain from that i but, hear you <laughs> but um 
but what I liked about this was being looking at this from Eric's perspective, it was like a layer was being peeled from your eye. Like every few pages, mm. something would fall away and you and you see things from a whole new perspective, like so many times as the society it falls away and there's superstitions and the stupidity and what? My uncle's not a hero. He just wants to be the fucking chief. Like yeah. like it was it was <laughs> Yeah, I thought he I thought he had a much, you know, is like we're gonna we're gonna go up into the kitchen we're cupboards. Go, we're, gonna we're gonna go into space or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, now right. Yeah. No, I just No, no, he he has way. really small but he but I, I thought I thought about this because I had read this a long time ago. I thought about it reading again. There's an alternate interpretation of what the what he is doing, what the uncle is doing with Eric. It's not so much that he's trying to get some secret alien tech because while Eric is gone, the uncle launches his coupet and fails. It's also so an alternate interpretation. I I I read it like that. That like the the the, the, the uncle went for it and. No, I thought the uncle was waiting for um, Eric to come back so that he could use the that yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's what I, I, I was. Too. I was reading it like getting Eric out of the way so that he could. No, do this he and, got he, he the uncle got the uncle got ambushed. Yeah, they I knew, think I think that the chief figured out what was going yeah. on. Yeah, and he and he was basically. Bet- I mean, that's what he says in his betrayed. Torture. Yeah, he says that okay. some other outsiders came into coup. Well, you only go. Well, yeah, yeah, that, and, and that reminds me of kind of 18th century Europe with the French Revolution, and suddenly all these monarchies who hate each other and oh yeah, so they decide to cooperate to restore the French monarchy, which is what which is the vibe I kept getting from. Oh well, we we can't have somebody who believes in alien science. We have to all work together to put down the unbelievers who don't believe in the the right way of living, which is of course. Human science for humans, sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I was listening to. I, I, it's weird. Basically, everything feeds into my podcast, you know. So I, I was listening to. Well, surprise. Uh, yeah, I was listening to a great series on the BBC um, called uh, the. It's a, I guess a comedy troupe called the Penny Dreadfuls, um, and they. I'm most, shocked you would like such a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, they uh, they satirize nineteenth century Victorian uh, sort of heroes. Um, and there's got a series called The Brothers Faversham, where you know this, the mom's always having babies, and the son grows up to be a you know a famous violinist, or you know he grows up to be the greatest magician, or whatever it is. And and it just makes fun of class, and it's 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 satirizing everything. Um, but they also did one on the French Revolution, which was pretty funny. And they got Richard E. Grant, uh, mm-hmm. if you know that actor. He's, I think he was in the Scarlet Pimpernel um, uh, adaptation. And uh, Scarlet Pimpernel is kind of a proto-superhero. Um, here he's, he plays Robespierre. Um, and uh, it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, th- that's exactly what they're doing, is they're trying to have a coup to remove the king and make the people in charge, right? And, yeah, all sorts of ridiculous things happen in this terrible coup. But all the stuff around it, right, Uh, France and Germany and all the other monarchies are like, how dare you touch one of our own? (laughs) That's my cousin, you bastards! 
How dare so they, they they basically invade France in order to try and you know influence what's going on in France, um, mm-hmm. and that whole uh, distance between uh, the the whole play takes takes uh, the point of view of one of the princesses of um, one of the Louis who's been executed, and says you know you need to sign this document, um, and I'm going to convince you to do it, saying you know that you give up all rights and you support the the people's government and blah blah blah. Um, and they go back and forth with what wh- what their views of why it came to this, how you know the guillotine uh, and the the terror is happening, and the reason they give are very personal, right? The way she saw it, her father was a good a good dad, right? And the way he saw it, uh, well, when the king came to visit, he didn't have time for my speech. <laughs> And he didn't, he didn't, he called me the wrong name, right? And then there's the mass of people who are just starving and saying, we, we don't like this. Can you do something about it, King? And he's like dithering because he's, you know, he's not trained to deal with stuff like that. He's just born into the, you know, riches. And his wife's not helping, right? So all of this sort of farce of the of what caused the French Revolution is is caused by man's inability or human's inability to to take the other's point of view completely mm. and and also to see reality as it is right rather than reality as we framed it and uh, there's a great sequence where they have the the three estates you know uh, the french uh, estate system where there was the church there's the nobility, oh yes, and there's the people, right? And they're all three equal, right? When the church is, is super rich and in collusion with the nobility, and the people are like, wait, uh, we're like 99% of the population. Why are we only getting one-third of the votes? Um, and that's like, well, Doug, because if you're not willing to you know, chop off some heads, um, that's what's going to happen. Right, and and they eventually realize, you know what, chopping off heads is a good idea. And of course, Robespierre gets his own head chopped off at the end of the story, right? Because once you get started breaking norms, it's hard to find a new. But we still have that today, right? The effects of the French Revolution are still felt. There's sort of animosity, um, and and little jokes and little, th- and this is all over the world. Re- Russian Revolution, Jesus. That did not go well uh, in terms of uh, what the British and the Canadians and the Americans all did. They all felt the effects of it and feel like they fucked up because they couldn't reverse it, right? And now they still... What's that word now that they're using? Instead of uh, enemy uh, or, uh, you know... Oh, yes, the word is adversary, right? Russia is an adversary. China is an adversary. What the fuck are you talking about? They're just people in another country. They're like you and me. They like food and they enjoy TV. <laughs> Why are you so mean? They're not an adversary. Yeah, they're an adversary to you and getting more billions in your pocket, perhaps, personally. But that's, I, I think that that's the sort of the, the, the button that Ten is pressing uh, when mm-hmm. he puts a, put out this story that I think is, it's yeah, I, I don't know what makes it classic, but I really like it. I like it a lot, a lot. Yeah, 
Yeah, it hasn't because I went to I went to ISDBB. It has not been republished that much yeah. since Galaxy. It got expanded to the novel. It showed up in one Martin Greenberg collection, and that's about it before it went into the public domain. And it's a shame because I I, I am as you as the three of you probably figured out by now a big fan of William Tennant, mm-hmm. and I do want people to read more of his well, work. Well, good news is this podcast is going to go out with an audiobook uh, for it, and. Uh, I was just thinking, I'm pretty sure I checked on um, a Liberation of Earth, and I'm pretty sure it's not public domain, but I, I haven't checked on A Lamp for Medusa. Um, oh, yeah, because they've got some more, that's again, a more obscure one. Mm-hmm. If if you want to do a podcast, if it's public domain, you want to do, and if it's on LibriVox. It's not on LibriVox. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure oh. this is the only thing on LibriVox by him, but um, I will uh, I will check it, you know. I I have access to a lot of those magazines, so I'm going to check in and see if there's anything else that's uh, by him because uh, available. Because he's um, he's a good writer and he's got he's got a s- nice sense of um, of irony. <laughs> he, he is kind of a a modern science fictional version of Jonathan Swift. Oh, definitely. I was going to say that he totally is. I mean, totally. it's not. He's 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 slightly different than Shackley. Slightly different from from um, Douglas Adams. His mm-hmm. tone, his interest. Oh, 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 yes, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't confuse Adams Douglas is Adams. a satirist, uh, but it's it's more like um, for the jokes. Um, he he does do the broad brush, right? Of of all the things that we. Uh, think of you know the f- the food that presents itself and says my loins are particularly tasty. I've been fattening myself up. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great it's a great idea, um, but he doesn't present it in a way that is more than I I, I don't I don't think I ever shed a tear in this you know even slightly in the idea of the Earth being destroyed at the beginning of the Hitchhiker's Guide right. to the Galaxy right right it's too, too absurd. Whereas this. Is um, I could I could see it going the other way. I, I, be, uh, I was thinking. Um, There's more of a Mark Twainness about him. Yes, than, than... you're right. He does have that wryness. I was thinking, Mice, that this would make a really good audio drama. Um, it certainly would because it's got that. We never get a sense of what the monsters are like, right? What the uh, the, there's an illustration for the. Just a weird thing about a long neck and lots of pink things. Yeah, or something. like they're <laughs> aliens for sure. Basically, they're <laughs> giant insects or something. They don't look like <laughs> they don't look like giant humans, right? Yeah. But, but we get the sense of the the big and the small, and audio is really good. Audio dramas are really good for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the how much of the story is told in a narrative way where Eric is. He's like, oh, I'd really like to become a man. Oh, she's sexy. Like that. And and then the uncle being paternalistic. <laughs> See, I think it'll work. Uh, the uncle being, uh, you know, t- t- oh, my boy, I'll tell you the way. And sort of distracted by the fact that he's got other plans going. And then with the video of, um, uh, you know, what's obviously a television ad, um, that... I think it would play incredibly well as an audio drama. I think it would, too. I, I hope somebody adapts it. Perhaps somebody will. All right. You know who this reminded mm-hmm. me of was, uh, uh, and, you know, this is this is maybe my own interest coming out, but uh, Philip Jose Farmer, I think, um, touches on a lot of these 
similar themes mm-hmm. uh, in his work. He does. Um, and it's uh, what reminded me of it especially is uh, the way his the way the characters in this novel hold like deeply sincere fictional beliefs. Yes. Um, and the way that they uh, you know the absurdity of those is really honed in on, and you kind of look at the. Uh, the social aspect of it, but it's still like a straight adventure novel on mm-hmm. some level. Yep. Um, that reminded me a lot of Philip Jose. Maybe Barber. that's, maybe that's why, uh, I suggested you be on this one or something. Cause they, they have the underlying, I don't remember how that went, but they certainly do. You're right. Our farmer has that sense of humor. You have that sense of humor. I notice. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably why you were like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, Oh, this is, this was just an amazing novel. When I started listening to it, I just couldn't stop. Yeah. You were yeah. saying you really like the narrator too, I think. Phil, yeah, Phil yeah. Chenevere. Um, he does. It's funny because he does a lot of uh, basically. I think the best choices for the public domain that are available for LibriVox. Um, you know, like lots of science fiction, lots of fantasy. He's he's got really good choices. But I'm not a hundred percent behind him being the narrator for all of them. For example, he does a lot of Conan. And he's not the ideal voice for Conan because he's not, I don't know, tough enough. He sounds like more whimsical. And he's perfect for this, right? Yeah, he's a believable Eric the Eye. He is perfectly. He's the naive, um, you know, light and fluffy. Uh, He's he's perfect for this. And And the thing is, is he's not terrible for the Robert E. Howard stuff. But Robert E. Howard stuff is, you know, I couldn't, I... You don't have the voice. I don't, I don't have, have the, the voice, voice for that. it. Uh, Wayne June kind of has the voice for it, but oh well, only certain Howard stories would I put yeah, Wayne June exactly. on. Yeah, exactly. the way. Yeah, so I, he did the Slithering Shadow, and it's good. Um, but uh, the thing is, is I don't think there is a perfect Howard voice. I haven't heard one. Uh, there's, you know, some. Uh, Tantors. There might be too much diversity in his work to have a it's single person. It's interesting, right? Because it it, it it is is both. It's like if you characterize it as a, a gender, you know, uh, the the writing itself. It's not just male, and it's not just you know, it's it's a combination of sensuousness and and uh, I don't know, tooth and claw, right? It's it's a it's a mix. <laughs> it's hard to classify. This I think was perfectly attuned to Phil Chenevere's voice. He's got that that. Sort of, he's he's laughing at you while he's reading, you know, <laughs> and and we're laughing along because it's pretty funny. Yeah, he's a great voice for this. There's another one that he would be good for. I was just thinking, um, Donald Westlake. You guys read any Westlake? Yes, we have. Yes, okay, we good. have. Jesse, you're on the podcast. <laughs> okay, well, maybe Will hasn't. Uh, yeah, I haven't. But <laughs> oh, well, you're going to love a podcast about it. Yeah, Will, he's a great writer. There's a, uh, you know what? In fact, there's a great story of his that I'd like to revisit, it's, and it is public domain. It's called "The Spy in the Elevator," um, <laughs> and it's a uh, set in a dystopia, uh, like 1984, but it's a short story. Um, What's well, in an elevator? It's got to be short. Exactly, it's got to be short. So yeah, that'd be a good one to revisit because I remember being sort of baffled by it the first time I. I read it, and uh, and Westlake is not usually a baffler. He's more like a he he's a he's he's very funny, very famous writer um, in his genre. But uh, we'll do that another time. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. 
please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. On? Okay, it's recording. Whatever. <laughs> That's interesting. I guess I should sh- close some of these windows. I got my phone to sleep. Let's and... close windows and make things happen. Yeah. All right. Oh, you know, I what I didn't do is bring up the uh, PDF. Everybody had access to the PDF. Did I send it to you guys? You did not send it to me. Well, damn. But I ha- but, but but it's on Project Gutenberg. So and it's also you? yeah. I had it there too. Okay, good. Okay, and it's also I, on I think the PDF. I, page. I probably had access to it, but did not look at it. Okay. Well, <laughs> so it's got the I, art. If I, if I fail out of the podcast for not doing my homework, uh, uh, you will be in trouble. If you, uh, it, mice. It sounded like Mice hadn't done her homework. <laughs> No, I did. I yeah, but, yeah, but it I, sounded like you hadn't. It sounded like I didn't do what my what I didn't do was almost show up. So that's the worst. <laughs> well, that's okay. You it's okay that you. Up. Yeah. No, no, I don't mind that part. As long as you do your homework. As long as you're working hard for no reason, that's fine. <laughs> okay, I'm good at that. All right. We're uh, we're Jesse's elect. Um, right. You know, you have to show that you show your work. Yes. Yeah. Show predestined to do your homework. That's right. Uh, <laughs> All right, uh, so there's the link to the PDF. It looks like it was an old one. It's taking a long time to load. Early one, I guess. Boy, it's slow. Apparently, there's some website problems this morning, or started last night. Oh, yeah, definitely slow. Yeah, and uh, I finally found an image uh, of page 8 and 9 that doesn't have the guy's face folded in half. Oh, I did, I did have that. You must have sent it at some point somewhere, mm. sometime else. You can see how old this, the um, the uh, PDF is in terms of my creating of it. It's it's early, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> um, and on page, what is it, 39? Um, I don't know about that scale. It seems wrong. But I guess we'll find out in our discussions. Some nice illustrations in here. Who's the illustrator? Do we know? It's Virgil Finlay, yo. Yeah, Virgil Finlay. <clears throat> Classic. He's one of the greatest artists, if not the greatest artist of of uh, pulp mags. Uh, at least interior art. His, I'm not so much on his covers, but his interior arts are amazing. Uh, this looks like pencil work, but um, his most famous stuff is um, it's it's scratchboard which is really interesting. Basically, it's, I don't know, some sort of cardboard with a layer of black stuff on it, and then instead of drawing on it, he scratches away what he doesn't want to be there. It's like sculpting, except on paper. That's cool. It's really cool. And it's just, like, amazingly talented. Yeah, that first image is fucked up because whoever scanned it uh, just folded the magazine rather than took it apart. But Mm -hmm. I did find one that uh, it was in a French publication as well. Anyways, why don't we do a show? I accept. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, Jesse, Paul, Misa, Will. Uh, Will, did you meet uh, Misa before? Were you on a show with her? I think but, we were. Yeah, it's, you're also Ace Galaxy, the, that's right. the dog detective. Uh, or- <laughs> yes, I <laughs> Dog detective. <laughs> 
No, no, Will, you didn't. Uh, He's kind of a detective. Well, he was a dog. Well, Ace wasn't a dog, but... Well, yeah, but you have a dog named Ace. But I do have a dog named Ace, and there was a dog character named Ace who was actually the leader of a planet, but, yeah. Uh, It's been a while. (laughs) Okay, yeah, so so the, the... Ace Galaxy is just named after a dog detective, then, and your actual dog was. Your <laughs> dog is a I detective of uh, detecting cookies. <laughs> That's right. I found one here. It's in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's in your milk. Let me get it out. Uh, if you haven't seen uh, Will's Twitter feed, it's mostly uh, him and his dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent! Yeah, it's uh, it's fifty percent me and my dog Lucy, and fifty percent me uh, tweeting about Richie Rich's dog Dolly oh, yeah. Dog. That's good. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a big dog lover. Excellent. Yeah, they're pretty pretty nice little animals. All right, uh, I think I'm ready-ish. Here we go. Everybody know their places. Done yes. the rehearsals. Here we go. I know my role. And have you got your recorders going? Yes, I have my recorders. Excellent. Here we go. <laughs> 